Hi, this is Ananda, president of the Hare Krishna community near Washington, D.C. What follows is a Sunday talk recorded at our temple. Every Sunday we invite the public for meditation, a talk, and a vegetarian lunch. We'd love for you to join us. More information is available at iskonofdc.org. That's I-S-K-C-O-N of D-C dot org. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy the talk. Hare Krishna. Um, so, so this is definitely not a typical Sunday open house crowd. So I was looking at uh, the different people, and uh, this is more of an Ishtagoshti crowd. People, is there anybody for the first time over here? One person for the first. Two, three, four. Okay, a few first timers. First timers. But I see a lot of people who've been coming for a very, very long time. I'm really happy to see. So many devotees uh, also humbled. So, um, like Anubhinda Madhaji had said, we're going to discuss wisdom. And uh, I, I guess the segue to, uh, to the topic was because today is 24th December, which is the day the three wise men came bearing gifts for uh, celebrating the birth of Christ. So uh, the three wise men came from east, and uh, uh, apparently one of them was from India. And uh, by the name of, uh, I didn't know that when I was reading it, I found out, by the name of Gaspar. Uh, one was from Persia and one was from Arabia. And they came bearing gifts, which I believe is how the gift-giving tradition um, started. <clears throat> There's also a group of people who think and say, that um, if instead of three wise men, th there were three wise women, things would have been a lot different. <clears throat> that um, they would have stopped and asked for directions as opposed to navigating by the star. So they would have, they would have come in time and not after Christ was born. And they would have bought more sensible gifts as opposed to perfume and frankincense and gold, you know, things that Mother Mary could actually use. And they would have been discreet about it as opposed to going to the King Herod and telling him all about it. And then he started killing all babies who were born under two years. So, you know, there would have been peace and happiness uh, um, after that. <clears throat> so when I, when I told my wife that I was going to be speaking about wisdom, so it took a few minutes for her to stop laughing about it. And uh, she also was questioning the wisdom of our erstwhile temple president to <laughs> ask me to speak about it. You know, but uh, uh, it's something that we all have, uh, we all have some right to speak about. And uh, so I'm exercising that right. Um, so uh, wisdom is very often, uh, sits very close to knowledge. And many times it's used uh, interchangeably. Knowledge is knowing something, and wisdom is what to do with that knowledge. So let's talk a little bit about knowledge. Knowledge is the first step in, uh, in, um, uh, in wisdom. And we go through life um, acquiring knowledge through so, many, through so many avenues. From the time that we are born, we're gathering information and we're acquiring uh, uh, knowledge. But the real knowledge that uh, would help us is uh, knowledge about the real problems in life. So when, uh, when Socrates, who is an ancient uh, Greek philosopher, 
was being put to death. He was asked to drink poison. And one of the last things that he said before uh, uh, taking the poison is that a life unexamined is not a life lived. So the reason that we, the reason that we, uh, we can make something out of this life is through the process of introspection. Questions like, why are we here? What is the purpose of life? Is there something more that is going on? So in the scriptures, it is said that ahar nidra bhaya maithunyacha. So these four things, ahar, which is eating, nidra, sleeping, bhaya, fear, and maithunya, which is uh, sex desire, samanyam, etam, purusha, uh, nara, uh, uh, purusham, and nara, nara purushubi, naranam purushubi. It is the same in nar, which is human beings, and pashubi, which is in the animals. So these four things which we are all doing, eating, sleeping, mating, and defending, humans also do it, and animals also do it. Then dharmhi, Tesham Visheshadhiko. The one thing that distinguishes the human being is the pursuit of dharma, is the pursuit of philosophy. And dharma hina samanya pashubi. Without dharma, a human being is the same thing as an animal. So unless one pursues the, the, the higher principles of living, one is considered to be, Prabhupada would say, a dvijapad pashu, a two-legged animal. And he would say that uh, you, animals are eating, humans are eating, animals are defending, humans are defending, animals are sleeping, humans are doing that, they, they follow sex, humans follow sex. Only thing is that the humans are doing it in a more polished way. But essentially it is the same. So really speaking, the real purpose of our human existence starts with the pursuit of knowledge. In, uh, so the word Vedas literally means knowledge. And the Vedanta Sutras, which is a summary of the Vedas, starts with this, with this uh, proposition, Athato Brahma Jigyasa. Therefore, let us inquire into the nature of the Absolute. Now the interesting thing is that this is the first sutra, this is the very first statement in the Vedanta Sutra and it starts with therefore. So generally when you use therefore, there is a supposition that is made prior to that. That because of this and this, therefore this happens. But the there is no verse before this in the Brahma Sutra, but there is an implicit supposition which is now that you have acquired this human form of life, therefore, you should now pursue knowledge. So knowledge is what will set us on the path of self-discovery. So there is, an, uh, there is a small pastime about uh, uh, an interaction between Narad Muni, one of the traveling preachers, sages, 
And once he was traveling in the jungles, and he saw that uh, uh, there were animals that were, that were kind of half-killed. They had been shot with arrows in such a way that they were incapacitated and in a lot of pain, but they were not dead. And Nad Muni, as a devotee, his heart was really soft. And as he followed this trail of half-dead animals, he saw a really fierce-looking person hiding behind a tree and with a bow and arrow. And then when he saw Narad Muni, then the animals that he was stalking, they disappeared. So he became very angry. And he turned to Narad Muni to chastise him. But then seeing the effulgence and the purity of Narad Muni, he became uh, pacified. But then he still asked that, why are you walking in this deep jungle? And you scared away the animals that I was hunting. And then Narad Muni said, who are you? And why are you shooting these animals in this cruel way? So the hunter said, my name is Mrigari. So Mrigari means, Mrig means deer, it also means animals, and Ari means enemy. So he said, I'm an enemy of animals, and this art of killing but not killing the animals has been taught to be my, my father. And I derive great pleasure when I see animals suffering in this way. So then Narad Muni asked him, that do you know that all this suffering that these animals are going through, you will have to go through many times over. Vigari said, no, I didn't know that. Namu said, now you know. So, so, and based on that, he, so Nath Muni did not ask him to stop killing. He said, you kill, but kill them completely. At least don't take on the additional sin of making them suffer so horribly, which he did. And then later on, he made further progress. But, uh, Mrigari's situation was that he did not know. And he was rescued by the knowledge that was given to him. So when we start our, our progress into self-realization, into spirituality, uh, our first step is to know more. And where, and where does that knowledge come from? The Bhagavad Gita is the book of knowledge. So in Bhagavad Gita, Krishna very simply, just 700 verses, he gives us knowledge about ourselves, who we are. He gives knowledge about himself, who God is. And he gives us knowledge about the relationship between the, uh, the two of us. So what does knowledge then mature into? The next step that knowledge matures into is wisdom. And wisdom is, as we discussed earlier on, that wisdom is knowledge that is realized through practice. So when we are endeavoring to acquire knowledge, one of the important aspects of it is, where do we get this knowledge from? And again, Krishna comes to our rescue, and in the fourth chapter, he, he says, Tadvidi pranipatena pariprashnena sevaya uptakshanti te gyanam gyanina tattvadarshana. That get knowledge from one who has knowledge. Right? That is important. That as opposed to, there is a saying like blind leading the blind. Right? That uh, getting knowledge from somebody who does not have it is not going to, is not going to really help you. So get knowledge from one who has knowledge. 
get knowledge in a mood of submission. Because if you get knowledge in a challenging mood, then you are not likely to get much of knowledge from the interaction. And sevaya, get knowledge in a... So that helps develop the mood of submission. So once we have the jnana, once we have the knowledge, then as we implement those principles of knowledge in our day-to-day -day life, the knowledge matures into realization. So, uh, in the 13th chapter, Krishna talks about the, about the, the, the 20 topics of, or the 20 objects of knowledge, out of which two are pure knowledge which is understanding the importance of uh, spiritual advancement and uh, uh, understanding the need to make uh, understanding the need to make philosophical inquiries based on that the other object of knowledge that comes up is is janma karma jan, uh, janma mrityu jara vyadi dukha dosh anu darshanam that one gets the realization that janma karma, that janma mrityu jaravyadi, that birth, death, disease, and old age are really the, the real sources of misery in this life. So that elevates one from the aspect of just getting knowledge to applying the knowledge in our lives. One of the statements that Prabhupada famously made, so in the third chapter, uh, verse 10 purport, he says that um, uh, religion without philosophy is, is, uh, 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 is fanaticism or ritualism. And philosophy without religion is mental speculation. So the idea is that if we get knowledge, we should act upon it. So just knowledge for the sake of knowledge is mental speculation. Or if we act without knowledge, we will not have the conviction. So it will either become superstition, we do something just because the, our neighbors are doing it, or our parents have asked us to do it. Or in, 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 in uh, uh, more extreme cases, it becomes fanaticism. That this is what I do, and even a slightest deviation is not going to be tolerated. And there are wars and there is killings based on these, these uh, uh, perceived uh, deviation. So, um, uh, so I just want to ask a question to the audience. Uh, how many of you, if you can raise your hand, how many of you subscribe to the notion that, uh, there, is, that there, is a, there is a soul, there is a spirit soul? Almost all. How many of you live your lives with the understanding that you're not the body? Okay, okay. My obeisance is unto you. <clears throat> so, so, why this difference? The first is knowledge, and the second is wisdom. We have this knowledge that we are not the, not the body. Very difficult for us to, to, be, to be living 
in that realization, we, 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 and a lot of, you know, I know a lot of people here are being humble and did not raise their hands, but we do get, we do have um, glimpses of not being our body. When we are chanting, when we are, when we are, we are participating in ecstatic kirtan by Gorwani Prabhu, we do have the glimpses that there is more to us than just earth, water, fire, air, ether, and mind, intelligence, false ego, right? It doesn't stay with us. It comes and then it, it, it goes. But how, how can we get it to stay more and more with us? And that is through practice. So the practice for the, our current day and age is the process of chanting. By chanting on the beats, japa, by chanting collectively in Sankirtan, and by following the principles of, of uh, devotional life by worshipping the deities, by uh, uh, following the four regulative uh, principles, staying away from sinful activities, we, we uh, deepen this realization. So just like Bhagavad Gita is a book of knowledge, Srimad Bhagavatam is a book of wisdom. In Bhagavad Gita, we get the knowledge of what is, what is, what is Krishna all about, what, is, what, what are we all about, in the Srimad Bhagavatam, we see how people who have that knowledge live their lives. The Srimad Bhagavatam is essentially a collection of pastimes of, of uh, uh, great, uh, great souls in the past. And these are, we see, the, we see the life of Prahlad Maharaj, we see the life of Dhruva Maharaj. These are people who had that knowledge, who had the wisdom and they lived that life. And through that we get an understanding of what do wise people do. So knowledge is acquired through the process of inquiry. Knowledge is taught. Wisdom is caught. How do we get wisdom? Through association. We cannot, nobody can teach you wisdom. You, you catch wisdom. You catch wisdom by associating with those who are wise. Prabhupada would say, how do you become an expert thief? You hang out with other expert thieves, right? You can't, you can't really, you know, I guess you can't really study and become a thief. So, uh, <coughs> so, so you, you know, you, you, you find out other thieves who are better than you and spend some time with them. Same thing for, uh, same thing for, for uh, wisdom. That uh, as you spend more and more time serving those who are wise, by following the instructions, by associating with them, you develop wisdom. Um, another small pastime of Narad Muni that uh, he was once traveling, and uh, uh, he noticed that there was a there was a place that was kind of isolated near a village. And then he said, "This is a nice place. Why doesn't anybody go there?" And they said, "There's a snake that lives over there, and very venomous snake, very envious. As soon as anybody goes, the snake runs to bite the person." So Narad Muni. Being Narad Muni, he went and preached to the snake. Not a good thing to be like that. Don't be envious, don't bite, don't bite people. And he went away. And the snake was so much influenced by the instructions of Narad Muni that he gave up his envious nature. So after some time, Narad Muni happened to be traveling back in that area. And he said, let me look up my old friend, the snake. 
So he go, went around asking, calling out the snake, and then he heard a very feeble noise. And then he saw, he saw the snake was really badly beaten up. And Nagmi said, what happened to you? And he said, well, I was just following your instructions. I stopped, uh, I stopped uh, trying to threaten people and bite them. And the children in the village, they call, come and throw stones at me. And the adults come and beat me with sticks. So Nalmani said, I asked you to stop biting. I didn't ask you to stop hissing. So first is knowledge, second is wisdom. Right? Knowledge is don't hurt another person. Wisdom is don't, another, don't hurt another person while protecting yourself. So wisdom is the practical application of knowledge. In Bhagavad Gita, Krishna uses the term Jnana and Vijnana. Jnana is theoretical knowledge, Vijnana is practical knowledge. And the bridge between Jnana and Vijnana is Sadhana. That as we act on the knowledge, we get more and more realizations. So what does wisdom mature into? So we talked about knowledge, we talked about wisdom. So you have knowledge, based on the knowledge, you associate with people who are wise, you act on that knowledge. What does wisdom mature into? Realization. realization. More realizations? Okay. Practical realizations. Practical realizations. Thank you. Prabhu? More advancement. All good answers. Prabhu? Distributing that wisdom to others. Giving out that wisdom to others. Thank you. Practicing the wisdom. Thank you. Yeah. So wisdom results in, in all of that. It also results in faith. So uh, it seems a little counterintuitive. But essentially, if you look at it, what we are doing is, is, is we, are traveling, we are traveling on the axis of faith. So what is knowledge? Knowledge is faith that is empirically validated. You need to see, tangible. Somebody says for you two plus two is four, you take two apples and put two more apples and you get four out of it, right? And you say, okay, this is, this is now validated. What is wisdom? Wisdom is faith that is experientially validated. You go to a doctor and the doctor says, you do all these things and your health will be better. And if you do all the things and your health gets better, then your faith in the doctor increases. So wisdom is knowledge that is experientially validated. And when that gets mature, you reach faith that is intrinsically there, that does not require any validation, which is, which is there because it is intrinsically present in you. So when we look at the, when we look at the life of uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he went through these stages in his life. Earlier on, he was a scholar, very, very knowledgeable. He was a scholar in logic, actually, Nyai, very, very knowledgeable. And then, at some point, he, he was associating with other Vaishnavas, and he was, he was uh, so to speak, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna himself, he was always mature, but so to speak, maturing in the wisdom of realization. 
and then in the final stage of his life he had he was displaying complete intrinsic implicit faith so in the bhagavatam it is said what is the perfection of devotion sabai pumsha paro dharma yato bhakti radhok sujay ahituki apratiyata e atma suprasiddhi ahituki apratiyata that the that the culmination of one's devotion is ahituki means it is causeless it does not require any other support there so um, i'll give you another example to illustrate this um, so um, we go through life with different kinds of relationships right some relationships are superficial and some of them are are stronger they're deeper so let's assume you go and apply for a job so when when your prospective employer interviews or hires you it's mostly based on your resume your qualifications what all you have done so it is mostly fact fact based right they still are hiring you on faith but that faith requires some kind of factual validation they need to see your degrees they need to see your antecedents maybe some recommendations so it is faith that needs to be validated by by some by some empirical evidence second example that shila propad gave would give was between a between a man and a woman that when they come together in marriage and assuming it's traditional marriage so the man doesn't know the woman and the woman doesn't know the doesn't know the man but when they come together in marriage love appears because they experience the knowledge that they were given the knowledge that they were given is that the relationship between a husband and a wife is that of love that's just knowledge that was given but how do they actually how does that relationship actually mature into that form that is based on the practical experience that the husband serves the wife the wife serves the husband and based on that experience love manifests third kind of relationship is between a mother and a child the child implicitly has faith on the mother the child does not need to see the mother's resume that were your mother in the past what how did your children rate you doesn't need to see that right you know the child doesn't even have to experience being a child as soon as the child is born the relationship is there it is pure so similarly when our our relationship is progressing we start we read we read bhagavad gita we get knowledge about krishna we read shrimad bhagavatam we understand that how do we practice based on that knowledge and chaitanya charitamrita it gives us information about how do those people who have implicit faith live what is their relationship with each other and what is the relationship with krishna so it's not a coincidence that shila prabhupad made this the tri darshan the three most important aspects of philosophy for practicing devotees the book of knowledge the book of wisdom and the book of implicit faith so so just like knowledge is caught and knowledge is taught and wisdom is caught faith is bestowed we get knowledge by our by our efforts but we get faith by mercy and we get that mercy through service
Now, so it's not, so this process is not, uh, so this is a cyclical process. That from knowledge we get wisdom, from wisdom we get faith, and then from faith we get more knowledge. And we see that in our own lives. That when we begin to study, we may study the Bhagavad Gita superficially. Then based on that, we come to the temple, we meet with other devotees, we take something back to our lives, we act upon it, and we get more realizations. Based on the realizations, our faith deepens. When our faith deepens, we go back to the Bhagavad Gita and say, let us now see what else does Bhagavad Gita tell us. And then we get some more knowledge. And based on that knowledge, we do something more. We may formally take initiation, we may increase our immersion into devotional practices. We get even more faith. And this process continues and, and uh, feeds upon itself in a positively growing spiral. So as they say that a journey of a thousand mile begins with a single step. So, and like I said, we have a little, uh, most of the people I see around are, are practicing devotees. And it's, it's a reminder for us that um, um, we, we need to keep a connection with the three aspects of our growth of knowledge, wisdom, and faith. So I'll stop over here and see if we have any discussions. Hare Krishna Prabhu. Uh, my question is uh, uh, how faith is due to mercy? Because I, I was thinking that faith also is something whether in individual choice, whether he decided to keep his faith on something, but how faith is based on mercy? First two points I understood, but this one. Okay, sure. It's a good question. The question is that uh, how is faith a result of mercy? So there is a distinction that is made between soft faith and conviction. Adoshadda tada shadu sang. In the Bhagavad Gita introduction, Prabhupada says, read the Bhagavad Gita with theoretical faith. That maybe whatever Krishna is saying is, is okay. Right? There's theoretical faith there. But the deep-rooted faith that, that we have, that is something, so since it is inside us, it's like the eye cannot see itself. Since it's inside us, it is difficult to, it is difficult for us to remove it. Somebody from outside has to come and remove it. So what is the biggest obstacle to faith? Uh, you are, but uh, uh, within you. So the biggest obstacle to faith is fear. Right? So we see so many pastimes where the faith is covered with fear. And fear is something that is within us. So one of Krishna's name is Abhai, that he removes fear. His another name is Bhaihari, that he takes away, takes away fear, right? So when Krishna sees us acting in a way that we are trying to establish a relationship with, uh, with him, then he reaches from, from within and takes away the, the fear, the misgivings, the, the doubts. And then he clears the path for us to make progress. That helps? Hare Krishna Prabhu, thank you for such a beautiful class. Um, 
So as you're speaking, I'm thinking of something Prabhupada said about um, approaching our devotion with both patience and confidence. And um, of course, the root of confidence, fidem, is from the Latin faith, you know, fides, faith. But when I when I think of that, I think I, I also my brain switches over to fake it till you make it. Sort of that sense of demonstrate confidence, demonstrate that sense of determination, and faith will come. So I'm wondering if you have any any words of wisdom for me on on those two attributes and how they play to your class. Okay, thank you. So, um, so, th so that is true. Um, um, you know, I always thought about that phrase that, you know, fake it until you make it. Uh, to some extent, it uh, puts a devotional life in a slightly different perspective. But um, uh, a paraphrasing of that uh, would be practice until you're perfect. And um, to a great extent, that's what we do when we are... Um, in our initial limbs of bhakti, we don't have we don't have the conviction that um, um, Krishna is there. We don't have the conviction that we are the soul. We may have we may have an intellectual understanding, but it hasn't traveled from our from our brain to our uh, our heart. So, two alternatives: one is we wait for it to happen whenever it happens, and it's kind of like waiting for the lottery to become rich. The other is that um, try and follow the process that might help you make that journey from the from the mind to the heart. So, uh, so that's what that's what sadhana vaidhi bhakti is all about. That uh, we practice being a devotee for two reasons. One is that when you practice being a devotee you come into the association of those who are actually devotees. You get their mercy. And the second is, the process is purifying. Even though you're doing it, it's like Srila uh, Prabhupada telling Garbhuni that even if you don't like giving me obeisances, still go ahead and give me obeisances. And then Garbhuni later on shared that he actually, uh, he actually later on then felt like giving obeisances. So because the process is potent, it gives us the purification, and it goes back to Ravi Prabhu's question, that as we follow the process sincerely, what we get access to is the mercy of Krishna and his devotees. That is what really we are after. On our own, very difficult. You know, anytime you go against Maya Devi, she'll beat you up. She's much stronger than you. 100% she'll beat you up, right? So the only way, Prabhupada will say, if you ever, he was quoting Niti Shastra by Chanakya Pandit, anytime you have an enemy that is stronger than you, what do you do? You make friends with somebody who is stronger than your enemy. Mayadevi is much stronger than you. So what do you do? You make friends with Krishna. Right? And that's the key to your eventual success. Perhaps? <coughs> yeah, Thank you. Thank you for the nice question. Thank you very much for the uh, enlightenment and very nice class. Uh, my question is, I was thinking while you were talking about the self-discovery process. So the fact that I'm already born, and it is also a school of thought that take things as they come and forward-looking thoughts. So when I'm already born, why do I have to know who am I and why can't I just live my life doing more advancement and looking more into the future. 
So you talked about the journey wherein knowledge, wisdom, and eventually faith. So the fact that I'm already born and this path, where does that lead to? And what if I'm not following this path and doing something else? So what, what happens? Okay. So I guess this is a more, uh, it's a more fundamental question that what is the need to take to spirituality? You're already born, and uh, there, you know, there are uh, there are 7.65 billion people who are living in a certain way. Then what's the point in doing something um, something different? So, um, a couple of ways to look at it. One is that uh, we may be living our lives, but are we experiencing what we? think that life would give us. So we are, we are pursuing so many avenues in our life in the pursuit of happiness. Sometimes it's accruing material things, sometimes it's in relationships, sometimes it's through, it's through fame, to different pursuits that we make to acquire ultimately what we would think is happiness. And the question that we need to ask it is that, is it working? The fact that I have a bigger house than my neighbor, how much happiness does that give me? Because inevitably there'll be another neighbor who'll have a bigger house than, than you do. There'll always be somebody who has a faster car and always somebody who's more famous than you. Regardless of where you are, there's always somebody. And uh, uh, the same thing is in relationships. It's chapel sukh. That there is happiness, but the happiness always comes with some distress. So then one can ask oneself that, that I'm doing all this to get happiness seems to not work all the time. Is there something else for me? What else is there? So that's the sincere inquiry that can set one to the path of eventual spirituality, right? There's a, um, so I'm, I, I'm not sure how true it is, but uh, there, was a, there was a person who, who, who worried about everything, about his job, his car might break down on the beltway. So he, he, went to the he went to his psychiatrist and he said, you know, I worry about so many things. So the psychiatrist said that there's a Hare Krishna temple in Potomac, and uh, they have uh, they have nice they have nice philosophical discussions. You should go and visit them, and that should help you. So he came to one of the Sunday classes, and he attended it, and then he went back to his psychiatrist, and he said, "You went?" He said, "Yes." Did you attend the class? They said, "Yes." And he says, "How do you feel now?" And he says, "Terrible." So, so why are you feeling terrible? He said, initially I used to worry about my this life, now I'm worrying about my subsequent lives <laughs> after that. So, so this is one of the cases where the inquiry may not lead you in the right, in the, in the right direction, but sincere inquiry, in, in properly motivated, will address what we consider to be our are big problems. And we see that in our lives as practicing devotees, uh, as we practice, as we chant, as we follow the regulative principle, things affect us 
to a lesser extent. You're on the beltway, there's no traffic that's moving, there's another person there and they're beating the steering wheel or they're beating their head, and then you're listening to Kirtan. It doesn't, both of you are in the same situation. Does not, it's not that you're going to reach any close, any faster, right? But it affects you, it affects you lesser. Similarly, bigger things in life. You know, the Janmar Mithu Jaravyadi, they are there every time. But whether they are Dukkha Doshan Darshanam or whether they are neutrality, modes of neutrality, right? So that's the endeavor that can lead us to the path of spiritual inquiry. Adams? Hare Krishna Prabhu. Thank you so much for a wonderful class. So, um, Prabhuji, you mentioned that uh, we have to start at the knowledge base. Then once that matures, you go to wisdom. And then when that, once that matures, you go to faith. But does, it, does, does one not require faith to start at the knowledge level itself? You do, you do. You start, you, so that, uh, I think it was asked, so that is soft faith, Shraddha. You know, it's uh, maybe theoretical faith, maybe it's borrowed faith, right? You meet somebody, somebody says, I read Bhagavad Gita, it's a great book, try it. You may not have faith of yours, but you have some faith in that person, it's borrowed faith. But then as you go through the, progress, through the process, that Shraddha goes to Nishtha. So Shraddha is faith that, that is there, and, but you know, it comes and goes. Nishta is unshakable faith. It is not predicated on anything. So in our, in our own lives, uh, depending on what our mind frame is, we may have more faith when we are, uh, when we are suffering. We may have more faith at the time. Or we may have more faith when things are going well. That things are going well, thank you. You know, just keep it that way, right? So, but real faith is when it does not matter whether things are going well or, or not. The faith is there. And that nishtha then matures to ruchi. Then you start, then you start enjoying your relationship with, with Krishna. So you're right. You start with faith. And the process is cyclical. That as you make progress, the faith strengthens. Your wisdom grows. Your faith increases. Then your pursuit for knowledge grows. And in this way, it feeds upon itself. Yeah? So thank you very much. Hare Krishna.